Hi, this is Bill. Long way from Acorn's Journey, a DMD story. Tell us what you think about the campaign over at Apple Podcast and at Podchaser. Leave a review as well. Remember, you can find us over on FaceTime, uh, the Twitter thing, and on the interweb, and at dungeonmastersdojo.com. If you're interested in supporting the podcast, please consider using our drive through RPG affiliate stores next time you're shopping. If shopping isn't your thing, you can buy us a sake, or three, or five. Finally, consider showing your support by buying some Dungeon Masters Dojo logo wear. The links are in the description below. Thank you for listening. Our reality is but a dimension, the uppermost layer in a tower of mirrors. Beneath it are the many reflections cast by our reality, similar but not entirely the same. A staggering number of worlds, lands beneath a dark sun, a world of three moons forsaken by the gods, realms long forgotten, and countless thousands more. You are about to enter one such reflection, a world still recovering from a magical apocalypse, a place where magic is regulated, goblins trade their wares throughout the lands, and the north is dominated by giants. Today, the sun rises over Hymirin and the Wilderin. This is An Acorn's Journey, a DMD story. And now, Chapter 9 of An Acorn's Journey, a DMD story. Mokui bobs up above the surface of the swamp water. You can now see him. He appears to be safe. Mokui, you lock eyes with your companions. There is initially a smile on their faces as they see you are okay, but then those smiles turn to looks of abject terror as a dark form comes up from the water. It is the thing that is hunting for you, and it is directly behind Mokui. I know it's behind me. You do not. Okay. But you know that their facial expressions have changed considerably. I will look behind me. As you slowly turn your head, you see this creature, the thing that was hunting you, raise two cleaver-like daggers, which are more like swords to someone of your size, over its head. I'm going to say, oh, shit, and then I'm going to cast Thunder Wave. Okay. What's his save? A DC 13. I'm just going to see which what it is. Con save, DC 13. He rolls a three. 16 points of damage, and he's pushed 10 feet away from me. There is no sound that emits from Mokui's thunder wave, but rather it is akin to a gigantic fart in a bathtub <laughs> as bubbles rise up from the, the swamp. The creature is lifted off his feet, thrown back 10 feet away from Mokui, disappearing beneath the surface of the water and soon bobbing back up. Mokui, don't you still have movement? Yes, I do. I'm just waiting to see this thing. Is it floating there or is it standing? It is standing. Swim, Mokui, swim! Hey, what is the distance from it to me? Ten feet. I'm going to swim ten feet towards it and try to latch onto it. How are you going to latch onto it? Grab around its waist. Its waist is so thick, your little arms would not be able to come in contact with one another, but you could still attempt to wrap yourself around its waist. I'm going to. So you swim towards the creature and you wrap your arms around it, make an attack roll. Five. You reach out, leaping from the water, and gently caress its chest. (laughs) 
have it make a con save DC 12. Oh. And if he fails? He suffers the poison condition for one minute, which means he's at a disadvantage for all attack and saving throws. Okay. Earring? Earring will fire an arrow at the creature. That is a nine. You have advantage. You have advantage. I have advantage? Well, we don't know that until the Game Master says so. Because he's 11. (laughs) I'm using your dice. (laughs) You don't have a great advantage. (laughs) An arrow whizzes by its head. Long way. I'm going to produce my bow and do the same. I'm going to fire at him. That's a 16. 16 hits. Seven points. Your arrow flies true and strikes the creature in its chest. It slaps the shaft of the arrow, breaking it, and continues its forward momentum. Dash, you are tucked underneath the root of a tree. I climb out of the water. Okay. Onto so the I root. can stand on the roots, preparing to go up the tree after I do what I'm going to do next. Okay. I think, uh, is he within 60 feet? Yes. Just light him up. And I'm hitting him with fairy fire so everybody can get the bonuses. Which is advantage. Yes. Which we already have. Yes. But he doesn't know but that. He would, not, yeah, he would not know that. What's the saving throw, DC? Uh, it's a, this is a dex check. Dex saving throw. That would be 13 if I recall correctly. Yeah, it's a 13. It's 10 plus. He makes his saving throw. He does not glow. Madri? Madri shoots at him. Mokui's going to have to make a dex save too or start glowing. I glow. Mokui starts glowing in iridescent purple. And uh, I hate to say this, but um, the enemy any has attacks made on that character are made at advantage. What's the worst that could happen, Mokui? Well, hopefully I gave a disadvantage so they cancel each other out. That's pretty much as good as it gets. (laughs) (laughs) To you. Yes. Madri? Madri attacks. What are you using? Using my short bow. 24. 24 hits. Will your damage? Five damage. Your arrow finds its mark. He lurches back, stumbling slightly, but continues his forward momentum. The creature raises his blades above his head and launches both of them towards Longway. 19? Yes. Both blades strike Longway. You are able to twist your body slightly to avoid full impact, but you do take five points of damage. Got it. Now the creature is within 20 feet of you. Of me? Of the trio of you oh, okay. under the tree. Oh, he, he went. Oh, he kept moving. Okay. Then I'm going into the water. Start with Earring. Earring is going to shoot him with his longbow. Still at advantage? He's yes, still under he's, the poison condition. Yep. Yes. 17. 17 hits. I will mark him as my favorite foe. I've got that wrong earlier. Terminology. Six points of regular damage, three points of psychic damage. Your arrow strikes him. There's that ripple effect that runs the course of his body, causing ripples around him, and he stops, bends forward slightly, and then continues forward. This time he does not knock the shaft from his body. Long way. Into the water, sword in hand. Slog into the water. No, I'm diving. You dive? Yep. I'm very comfortable and familiar with the water. The water around the tree is slightly shallow. I will advise you of that. Are you going to launch yourself from the... Well, instead of jumping down and miring myself in the mud, still diving is still... I'm not diving under the water. I can still dive across the surface. Roll me an athletics or an acrobatics check. That's going to be a 15. You dive into the water, launching yourself from the roots of the tree. You cut through the water, come up behind the creature, passing through his legs. Then we'll raise my sword and attack. 
with advantage, that's going to be a 17. 17 hits. That's going to be nine points of damage. You draw your sword across the creature's back, opening up a wide wound. I'm going to action surge and attack again. That's going to be a 19 for another eight points of damage. The creature, after you strike it in the back, spins around in the water. When you mount your second attack, you drive your sword up through the chest and out his shoulder. There is a spray of blood as you pull your sword free, and the creature drops face first into the water, floating for a moment and then beginning to sink. We interrupt this podcast of an acorn's journey to talk about our sponsor. Are you a veteran DM with more campaign ideas than prep time? Yeah, of course you are. Aren't we all? Does your party have a habit of going to the person or place that you would least expect? If they're like my group, they sure do. What if I were to tell you that I could put a team of professional writers alongside you at your desk to cut down on your campaign prep? What if I were to tell you that you could bring them along with you at your game sessions for when those pesky players go off the rails? Sounds pretty good, huh? With Describe, we could do just that. These narratives vividly describe monsters, places, spells, people, you name it. It's there. And there are more than 6,000 of these easy-to-search-up, copy-and-pastable, beautifully-written narratives right at your fingertips. I've been running games for the better part of 40 years, and I must admit, I've gotten a bit lazy. I just don't have the time I used to. And I've been using Terrain, which is minimizing my need for descriptive narratives. Stuff is right out there in front of you. Why describe it? When I was prepping for an Acorns journey, a DMD story, I used Describe quite a bit. When you listen, you can hear it. One of the things I like the most about Describe is that if the narrative doesn't fit perfectly with your encounter, it's easy to modify while still sounding really good. I did that an awful lot. I think this makes the more than 6,000 narratives that they have available for you even more valuable. It almost doubles what you have at your fingertips. You should give it a shot. Describe has graciously provided us with a discount for our listeners. Head on over to describe.com backslash DMD. That's D-S-C-R-Y-B.com backslash DMD. Use the code DMD at checkout to try Describe for two weeks free. Links will be in the show notes. And now, back to an acorn's journey, a DMD story. Moquare, you're all right. I'm fine. With your raft in shambles, what is your plan? Is there any good wood around? There's the wood from the raft. It's still bobbing in the water. It's kind of floated about the area. Go and retrieve it. I'm already in the water, so I'm going to call it. I'm going to retrieve the logs for the raft. We'll, we'll lash it back together. All right. Battery uh, goes over and searches the body. I will beckon the child from the tree. The child climbs down from the tree, stands by your side. I'll drag it over to below one of the trees, where at least we have something solid to work off of. There, yeah, there's enough ground so that you're not standing fully in the water, waist deep or more. Dash? I'm going up the tree to the very top so that I have enough height to glide all the way across the swamp to the other tree in the other group. Soon, Dash joins you. You can see him gliding, his awkward sideways glide, and he alights on one of the roots of the tree. Madri, long way is busying himself, relashing the, the logs to the raft. What are you doing? Looting the body. Because <laughs> there's no other term that really applies. Looting the body. You have to fish around because he's sunk. He is laden with weapons, a creature you have never seen before, wearing dark clothing, 
There's still a spiked club on his back and a sword and several daggers on the belt, as well as his quiver with his bolts. Take it all, all of it off. Retrieve as many of our arrows as possible. Bring it out of the water onto the dry land there to inspect it. Most of the arrows, the shafts were broken off. There's only one that he didn't break off. It takes a little a little effort, but you're able to free the arrow without breaking the shaft. That was that was Earring's arrow that struck him. I return it to him. Okay. Thank you. I'm just going to bind up the few wounds I have, get up to shore, and just bind myself up. In less than an hour, you have the raft in a manageable state. It'll still float. You mount up on the raft. Before we leave, I'll mention this. As I'm doing it, I'll look up and see Madre going through a pile of weapons and whatnot and say, even though we can't use the crossbow bolts, we can still use the tips. Save those, maybe the fletching if there's much there, but we can reuse those to craft our own arrows later on. Number one. And number two, can someone do me a favor and help bind this wound? Because I can't quite reach it. Mokui? I'll take care of it. You want a medicine roll? Yes. 16. 16. It's a nasty wound, but it's certainly not fatal. The concern is risk of infection being out in the swamp and long way having swam through the the swampy, murky, festering water. But you're able to clean it and bind it are fairly comfortable that you will be fine, though you do believe that you're going to have to keep an eye on it so that it doesn't get infected. I'll keep that in mind. You pull through the swamp for the better part of the day, searching for an area that is dry enough to make camp on when you see a tree moving through the swamp ahead of you. Soon after, another large tree appears, and then a few smaller ones, and then another larger one. And before long, several trees begin to cross the swamp in front of you. How does the child react to this? It watches the trees with curiosity as they're moving. It looks to you periodically to gauge what you're thinking and looks to the trees and looks to you and looks to the trees. Madri, do you need that belt of uh, daggers? No, I don't. Do you? Yes. Let me. Here you are. He hands it off to Dash. And I will take out one of my woodworking tools that has like the smallest little thing and start and start putting in a, uh, a hole about halfway down the belt so it'll actually fit like a bandolier. Totally unfazed by a group of trees marching through the swamp. <laughs> group of trees marching through the swamp. I'm going to start woodworking right now. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not woodworking. I'm carving a hole so I can actually get the belt on. It would be leatherworking. Leather. Ah. This is a site that is uncommon in the wilderness. These aren't treants. These are actual trees. They appear as though they might have uprooted themselves and are shuffling their way through the swamp. Okay. Is this normal for the swamps of these lands? When it's I know not something I've ever witnessed. It's something... I've ever heard of, witnessed. Same for me. No, these aren't even the swamp trees you're used to seeing. These are trees from from the forest that appear to be taking a shortcut through the swamp. They don't stop them. They're, they're still moving. Yes, there's there's several a flock of trees, we're, if we're, you will, moving across the swamp. What direction? North, south, east, or west? You're heading east. They're coming from southerly direction and moving northward. We're watching a migration of trees. Now, would it be a flock? And what would be the proper term for a group of trees? Maybe a murder a, of trees? A, a, a litter? A forest. Like leaf litter? A forest. <laughs> it's, a forest yeah. of trees. A forest of trees. A grove. A grove, grove of yeah. trees. That would work better. Stand. An, an or- a stand. Of, a stand of trees. I like that one. A stand of trees. These are oaks and birch and gold leaf. Oh, my. And maple. Uh, <laughs> 
when I do notice them, after I get the bandolier on and stand up, I'm going to look over and just goggle. And once I notice what they are, I'm going to like bow down because it's oak and it's birch. They're fleeing the syrup makers. <laughs> they don't appear to have taken notice of you bobbing in, up and down in your ramp. They continue to cross your path. What do you do? Uh, carefully snake our way through? Or wait till they pass? Or wait till they cross. Yeah. It's like the train crossing. You just have to wait. You just have to wait. There's <laughs> nothing you can do about it. So I look through the woods and see if we can determine how large the stand of trees is that's moving. It looks like it's going on for a while. One of the trees stops and turns to face you, though it doesn't really have a face. It's the side of the tree that has more of a, a pattern somewhat similar to a face. If you look close enough, I suppose you can pick out features. This is a ragged and gnarled oak tree standing right ahead of you, blocking your path. The trunk is bent over almost in half with branches as thick as a giant's chest, blocking the path forward. Leaves rustle as it moves, undercut by snapping twigs and groaning branches as the trees suddenly straighten to loom several feet above you, the massive branches curling with unthinkable speed and into angry staves. One of them, the one directly in front of you, bends directly over as if to inspect the tiny raft. I'm really glad we don't have a torch lit. I will stand up to my full height of two foot nine, tip my head back all the way so I'm looking straight up at him, wave my hands over my head, Hey, Lopa, where you going? It just stands motionless, looming above you. I keep an eye on the tree and also keep an eye on the child. For what seems like an eternity, the tree looms over the tiny raft, and then it straightens and turns and continues to slog through the swamp. Back at you. Have a nice journey. After what, about an hour, the last of the trees crosses the swamp, and your passage is no longer barred. Well, you don't see that every day, do you? No, you don't. Nope. Not even in our forests. Which direction is it? It's heading north, you said, right? It is heading north, yes. Oh, too bad we're not heading north. They're going to cut one hell of a path. I was going to suggest we follow them. They don't travel very fast, though. How does that line up with the map that you uh, made us? Oh, yeah. I bust out my map. The map doesn't show anything but more forest. And we did have to head northeast, but we've been kind of doing that already, at least trying. Heading east, but jogging north every now and again. I don't know if we have to go true north for a while, or true-ish. Not sure. Well, we've only got a general idea of where she might be staying, so we're going to have to do a search pattern anyways. Well, I suggest we keep heading east then. I definitely forgot that I had uh, made a map, so I should find out where her hut is in this. You did have a fair bit to drink that night. I did. Are there any landmarks that you put on that map? I ask only because I was told not to, because mine looks like stick figures that were beaten up by orcs, so... DM? It is a series of channels in the swampy area, and little more. The forest has several landmarks throughout uh, various standing stones, small ruins, towns, villages, uh, no cities, however. The swamp is nothing but a maze of, of waterways. Can we tell from where we have gone where we are in, in the waterways? Have you been checking your map? Are there any ruins marked on the map? Yeah, the temple. There was a series of ruins that you believe is probably those ruins that you encountered the cultists in. Using my cartography knowledge, can I trace our path on the map? Can I have a skill check? Yes. That would be survival? Yeah. So with the cartographers, well, I have proficiency in cartographers' tools. Make your check, Madri. 
All right, I'll use uh I'm going to also, as he's looking at that map, I'm going to look at it as well. No Emmy, no Emmy, no Emmy. Critical fail. <laughs> <laughs> the bad juju has gone to you. You are right on course, as far as you could tell. <laughs> I know where we are. As I'm looking over the map, can I also roll? Oh, wow. Yes. That must be what it looks like for everybody else, the stupid flyers. 25. You look over at the map Madry's holding, gently take it from him and turn it upright. (laughs) (laughs) This way? I see what's different about this. It is a a maze of channels that you've gone through. It's very difficult to tell, but you think you've traced your path, and you are on an easterly direction for the most part. But this is where we're at, and this is the direction we want to go. Does that direction follow the uh, direction that the trees are going? It does not. Okay. They are heading in a northerly direction. Which he didn't know a moment ago because the map was facing the wrong direction. (laughs) Okay, we'll give him back the map. When you're ready for more lessons, come see me. (laughs) (laughs) Andrea will put it away in his map case. You pull along for a while longer and scanning the breaks in the tree canopy, you realize it is starting to get dark sun is just beginning to dip beyond the horizon. We need to find somewheres to camp. If we can't find anything that looks solid, then a other a large tree with branches we can reach or a grove of smaller trees. In your search, you go down a channel, pulling along slowly so you don't miss anything. Pale trees rise up from the swamp, their jet black leaves blocking out most of the sky. Cracks in the canopy begin to show a sea of stars, more stars than you ever remember seeing before coming to this place. The hum of insects pervades. It's almost incessant, and you feel the tickle of tiny legs and wings brushing against your skin. Wriggles along the surfaces of the swamp suggest the presence of fish, eels, or perhaps leeches. It's unclear exactly what lurks beneath this murk in this channel. A section of the water suddenly bubbles, and then the rugged head and back of an alligator with violet scales rises up. It exhales, sending vibrations out along the muck, scattering jade, dragonflies, and other bugs into the humid air. And then, a couple yards more, you begin to see some dry land. A small rise with more of these trees with their blackened leaves. An open canopy, eventually, shows the night sky. Perfect. A rise, that means dry land. We are going to want to get away from water or find some place heightened to a camp because of the gators. Absolutely. I don't think gators can climb trees. Let's head for the dry land first and we'll assess from there. It feels good to be on solid ground, even for those of you that are comfortable in the water. It feels safer. You empty your boots full of swamp muck, water, and the occasional wriggly thing. You find that the rise goes up a little higher, not much, but the land grows drier. There's several dead twigs and branches laying about, leaves crunching beneath your feet from the trees, and you find yourself a spot that looks like it'll do. It is certainly not perfect. It is far enough away from the water that gives you a sense of security from the alligators, hoping that they'll restrict their hunting to what's in the swamp. Are there trees? There's plenty of leaves, but those can blow in from anywhere. There, there are trees. There's not many of them. It's scrubby little trees. The higher up you go, the less dense the trees are. Then I'll start gathering dead branches and limbs as best I can, if I can find a dead tree. I'm not too sure if the black leaves are dead or just black, so I'll leave them alone. I'll find something without leaves and try to gather as much firewood as I can as quickly as I can. I will also go out and look for larger branches that are downed. If I have to cut some down, I will, to 
make a perimeter around our camp, an impediment for any alligators that might venture close. So while Longway is busying himself with collecting firewood and you're building a makeshift fortification, Dash, what are you doing? These trees with the black leaves, is there anything on them that looks like a flower bud or a leaf bud waiting to opener that might be dead that I can uh, attempt to bring into bloom with Druidcraft? They're dried dead leaves. The black leaves on the trees, if you were to pluck one off, they, they feel quite quite alive. That's why I'm looking to see if there's anything that that's on it that looks dead that I can affect and maybe like show me that it's not dead, that it just happens to be a black tree, because that's unusual to me. Yeah, if you wish to use Druidcraft, yep. go okay. right ahead. And I'm going to use Druidcraft on it and make one of those buds open. On the leaf? Yep, a little leaf bud at the tip of one of the branches. I'm going to try to make that open. Oh, okay. We, when when touching one of the branches, you find that it is quite alive, quite healthy. It is just the nature of the tree. I will find a downed branch of some kind and examine it from a woodworking perspective, just for future reference. It's not going to affect anything in-game. It is a dead branch, dry, lightweight, somewhat scaly. Test it for strength? It snaps easily. I bring it over to the fire pit then and throw it onto the pile. Madri? Madri's going to actually look around a little bit more. There's no indication of roads or paths or anything. None. Okay. Helps set up camp, gets the tents ready, and states that he'll take first watch. Mokui? I'll also be helping getting the tent set up and camp ready, and then I'll be on first watch as well. Earring, while you're going about your business setting up your defenses, your barricade, if you will, the child is assisting you and handing you branches looking to you for your approval of whether or not it is of suitable size and strength. And then the hair on the back of your neck stands up with the telltale knowledge of eyes falling upon your silhouette. Your eyes dart around, your head swivels, then the air stills for a moment as though the world is holding its breath. A flicker of light flits across your vision. Adrenaline fires through your senses, amplifying them, ready to react. But then, then there's silence. The world returns to life, your heart pounding in your chest. The only proof that the moment even happened. You feel like you're being watched. I will make a bird whistling call for a bird that does not live in the swamp, hoping that my companions might understand. Your whistle is returned in kind, but not from any of your companions. I'm going to bring the child back to camp. Hearing returns to camp with the child. We're not alone. What's out there? Don't know. I mean, besides the large reptiles in the water? No, this is, this is something else being watched or I was being watched and I whistled a bird call for a bird that would not live in the swamp and the call was returned. And just as you say that, there is another whistle, almost identical to yours. It didn't come from the child, correct? Correct. I will do a different bird call. You do a different bird call. There is a moment and then out of the corner of your eye, you see a little bit of movement off in the distance amongst the trees and another small rise and then you hear a return call. I gesture to my companions which direction it came from. I'm going to continue to get the, the fire laid and then get it started. That's a mighty quick learning uh, mockingbird. I will. None of you have that sensation that you're being watched. None of you have that feeling. You know that eerie feeling where like the hairs begin to stand up on the back of your neck? Nobody but you, Earring. I will beckon the child to stay and I will venture to the perimeter of the camp. Arms, hands out. You venture towards the perimeter of the camp and you scan the area the whistle came from, initially seeing anything, and then there is a flash of the color of white that appears 
under one of the trees. And it is a woman, a, a tall, lithe woman, beautiful, dressed in white leathers. She has pale skin, almond-shaped eyes, and is wearing a headdress of leather and stag horns. Despite her being in the swamp, her leathers are pristine. Are you Magia? She giggles, shakes her head no, and then steps behind a tree and is gone. I will maintain my distance and stay at the camp's perimeter while looking about to see if she returns. She does not, but you catch a glimpse of something bounding through the trees ahead of you, and then it is gone. I'll return to the fire, and we should take, everybody should take a watch, two people per watch. I can have the child for second watch, and then dash and long way for third. That works for me. Okay, just wake me up. Once I get the fire started, I'm going to go down to the water's edge and make sure that the raft, at least corner of it, is hoisted onto the ground and then either hook it with the stakes through the logs to keep it from floating off. I don't know if the water level is going to change or something you know, tries to crawl up onto it because it's a nice little place platform to wait for something. But either way, I want to make sure it's secured to the shoreline. You secure it to the shoreline as best you can. You're satisfied that it won't go anywhere. Feeling comfortable with that, you return to camp. Grab whatever wood I could, or if I see a big gnarly branch or something like that, to help with the bulma that uh, Earring is putting together. Add to one or the other, and then head back into camp and maintain the small fire. I will turn in immediately. I need to catch a long rest. Madri? Madri will get set up for watch and find a comfortable spot. He's going to keep an eye out and survey the area. Earring will make for his tent with the child. And Mokui? Just kind of um, continue, um, just making sure the camp is set up, and just since I'm on first watch, I'm just going to start prepping for first watch. And I'm going to bed. I have third watch with the dash, so I want to make sure I try to get a rest in. Who is on watch with you? Or are you by yourself? I believe I'm with Madri. Madri is also on watch. So the watch goes by. It's uneventful. You can hear things plopping into the water, croaking of frogs, all the noises of the swamp that you've become accustomed to. The smoke of the fire keeps the insects, for the most part, at bay. When your watch is over, you wake second watch. I'll go wake Earring. Earring and the child perform second watch. The child is sits in the corner of the tent. That's the spot that it has adopted for slumber, although it doesn't appear to sleep. When you stand up, it stands up and exits the tent alongside of you, sits alongside you in front of the fire. Both sit in silence. About halfway through your watch, you get that feeling again like something is watching you, but you don't know really where it's coming from. You don't know if it's just seeing that person, seeing that woman there, or has made you paranoid, but that feeling has served you well before. It's there. It's present. You can't help but think, yes, there's something out there watching me. Perhaps it's the woman. Perhaps it's something else. But you don't see anything. With the hypervigilance, I will maintain by the fire with my battle axe. So if anything does come, it will wake everyone. The remainder of your shift on watch is uneventful. As you and the child rise from where you were sitting, you hear in the distance a slight giggle, very similar to the one that you heard come from the woman. But that is it. I will then wake Long way in Dash. Time for watch, Dash. Uh, okay. I will find a tree that I can get up to like the second branch level so that the lower canopy doesn't interfere with me seeing the edges of the camp and set up watch up there. Dash, can you see in the dark? No, I need the sun I need the firelight reflections. Okay. Long way. Yes. In the morning. Yep. 
provided everything goes well for the rest of the night. Which it does. we don't have any problems. Do you have any katas or training that deals with spears? No, but I can show... It, I'm assuming you want to show Acorn something to help it, right? Yes. It's taken a liking to the Yikla, so any type of... I can show defensive stance and defensive mover maneuvers. That would be most helpful. I'll do so in the morning. And Erin go, then goes to bed. And then I will maintain my watch, although I'm going to do so outside the barrier because I do have dark vision and the, the light is going to follow it. So I'm going to make my way through the bulma, replace the, the branches so the camp is once again encircled in branches and, and logs and stuff. And then I'm going to circle outside every once in a while, whispering up to Dash to make sure Dash stays awake. The only thing Dash is going to do other than look is when I'm settled in that tree crook, I'm going to slip off the bandolier and use one of my daggers to saw off the extra three feet of belt that would be dragging behind me like a balloon tail if I had to launch (laughs) and then tucking that into my pack. The rest of your shift goes uneventful. There is a lot of activity in the swamp, which doesn't surprise you. Various animals going about hunting at night, insects crawly things slithering about. Beyond that, there is nothing of any consequence. I'm not alarmed by my cousins. Once it starts getting a little bit light, I'll make my way back into camp, bank the fire, get some water heated for those that want to have something warm and edible in the morning. Besides those god-awful berries. I don't know how Madre does that. But uh, And have the camp ready for when they get up a little earlier than normal. And as soon as the sky starts lightening, I'm going to start rousing the rest of the group. You rouse the group, they sit together for a quick morning meal, and then you begin your journey anew. Were there any small alligators on the beach? In the morning, you can see them sunning themselves, but if you were to approach, they will slide into the water. I would try to sneak up and shoot one in the head. Roll it. 19. You stand in a comfortable spot. The alligator senses your presence and begins to slide towards the swamp. Your arrow flies true, hitting that sweet spot on the top of the alligator's head, easily killing it. I will then take it, skin it, harvest the meat, and put it into a pack for later. A bloodied earring returns to camp. Good hunting. Some gator meat. It'll suffice. That's not like cannibalism for you, is it? You realize gators eat smaller gators, right? I wanted to know because Mokwe, you know, had an issue with frogs. No, I eat frogs too. Oh, okay. They're very tasty. Would you have a problem with turtles or tortoises? Let's refrain from turtles or tortoises. They're barbaric, I told you. (laughs) These good berries are very nice. But you cook them in their own bowl. (laughs) Madri's head snaps over to you. Just joking. (laughs) Head down to the water's edge. Make sure our raft is still there. It is is still there. Unsecure it. Get the poles out. You have to kick a snake off it, but... Into the water you go, little bro. I've seen that head snap in the kata. After that comes the big flying leap really quick into a stomp. <laughs> no thank you. Go up, gather my gear, and stand in the middle of the, the raft waiting for everyone else to get down here. Soon your party is with you on the raft and you begin pulling down another channel. Imagine makes annotations on the map. <laughs> <laughs> I will be making sure that he does them correctly. <laughs> Just make sure he does them at all. <laughs> Mid-morning, you come across a circle of tall wood stakes in the distance. It surrounds a mossy cottage, each with a carved neck and head carved to look something like a snake. They cordon off a clearing about this structure in which nothing grows. The ground inside is dry and cracked as if the house landed and shattered it. Outside is an old woman, and she's watching you intently. 
the race of the woman? Human? It is hard to tell, but your first guess would be human. Shall we ask directions? Sounds like a plan. Let's. So we'll pull up short, and just outside the circle, well, the circle of states is, is holding up the building? No. Oh, the, there's a circle of states around the building? Yes. Then we'll stop shy of that and call out a hail. She raises a withered old hand in response. She looks like she's been waiting for us. She might just be out there sunning herself and spotted a bunch of idiots floating around on dead logs. <laughs> old mother, is there any way we could possibly pull up to your cottage for a slight respite from travels through the wet and cold water? I will entertain you. Why, thank you. And continue to the cottage. Is there a ladder or a, stair or a way to get up there? Shy of shimming, well, shimming poles, or was it just dropped and is right at water level? There's a well-worn path on the dry land that leads up further to where the cottage is perched. Perfect. We'll park our raft at the on the shore and hoist it up. Carefully make our way up towards the cottage. We do not see many visitors here. Well, we don't oftenly travel through the swamp either. Nor do many people. How fortuitous that we've run into one another. At least for us. Uh-huh. I hope. Why are you in my swamp? We're searching for someone. Searching? What someone are you searching for? A criminal, perhaps? A villain of sorts? Perhaps someone that can give us a little information. A wise woman. A wise woman in a swamp. Well, it is information that you seek. I beckon the child forward. A child. Unusual. You wouldn't happen to be Magdia, would you? I am Magia, and this is my swamp. And you are my guests here. Well, we do apologize for the intrusion. You are the individual we've been seeking. Who has sent you to see Magya and seek the wisdom of her? No one in particular has sent us. Just your name came up as perhaps someone that could answer some questions for us. The old woman tosses a shock of burnt orange hair aside, revealing eyes that gleam with an almost crimson sheen. An easy lopsided smile precedes the transformation. As the old woman grows imperceptibly, first, then suddenly with a surge of light and a shower of sparks, limbs elongate, scales and shrouds sun-bronze skin, and a mighty roar splits the silence. The roar shakes you to your very foundation of your soul, the light emanating from the figure blinds momentarily before fading to reveal a massive red-scaled dragon where the old woman once stood. Despite the beast's immense size, its aura is friendly, welcoming. Horns crest the dragon's skull, curved backward, and arcane runes carved into scale sizzle with barely contained lightning. I duck behind Madri. Madri kneels and bows and supplicates himself before this dragon. In the yoke of Madri, Longway draws his weapon, lays it flat in front of him and drops to a knee, opening his hands. Great mother. Arise, little dragon. Arise. Madri uh, adjusts himself to a, a kneel does not stand fully. Magia does not stand on ceremony. You may rise. It hurts Magia's neck to look so far down. I will slowly get up, gathering my sword in sheath, but swing the sword behind me. Madri stands in a posture of uh, reverence. Dash peers around Madri's legs. How does the child react to the dragon? There is no reaction whatsoever from the child. It looks at the dragon, blinks a bit, looks to you to gauge your response. The front of my breeches are soaked. (laughs) (laughs) This is clearly a very, very, very old dragon. There were stories of dragons being of several colors, 
in the past. You, you've heard many of them in the taverns, Madri, but now dragons just are not seen, and certainly dragons of a variety of colors aren't. On the rare instance a dragon is seen, they're thought to be nearly extinct. They are a ruddy brown with some green highlights, but they are all the same color. Madri was raised to uh, honor and revere all dragons of all colors. I was raised to show reverence primarily to the gold dragons, but all dragons are to be honored, worshipped. Especially the one that's right in front of you. (laughs) You have come to Magia's Swamp seeking wisdom? A question. Let Magia hear your question and perhaps she will grant you an answer. Could you read something? Or perhaps she will devour you. And then she lets out a chuckle. Forget I asked. I tease you. Going moving. Uh, one of the greatest honors I could ever think of is being devoured by a, a dragon. So, Agreed. You know, Agreed. Awesome. <laughs> I, I wouldn't even make an order. <laughs> I no longer stand next to those two fools. I move over my earring. Maybe an after-dinner mint. And feel free to consume our, main, our mates as well. <laughs> For they too will be honored by your consumption. <laughs> you know not of what you speak. <laughs> the look that Frank had. Harry wants his pants again. <laughs> Some, something just came out the back. <laughs> we have a item that had writing upon it that we were hoping that you could discern for us. It is an ancient, ancient language of the Fae, and none living that we could find could possibly read it, but your name came up as possibly someone who could. I know now that that is probably a certainty. Whether or not you're willing to divulge that information is yet to be seen. Who who had the acorn? Because Okay, you did get it back? Oh, we got it back from the old man, yes. Okay, yes. all right. You flatter, Magia, little dragon. But yes, ancient writing. I know much of it, for I am ancient myself. I have lived among the time of the Fae, and I have warred against the giants. So this language, I'm sure, will be familiar to Magia. Mokwe, would you be so kind as to produce it and bring it to her? I will produce the, the acorn and bring it up to her. Not directly looking at her, but... I have expected to go, pull it out and walk over a long way and go, here. <laughs> That's what I was waiting for. There is a moment of pause... You reluctantly shuffle, very cautiously, as as though you were sneaking up on something. And shakily, you hold the acorn up. And she takes one massive clawed hand and plucks it gently from you. And I go back to my spot right behind Earring. (laughs) (laughs) Because Madria suddenly doesn't seem safe anymore. (laughs) Magia knows what this says. Prepare for behind Earring. And what does it say? Gash steps out from behind and stands next to Madri. First, I will ask you a question. What is most valuable of all things? Are you asking all of us or me? I'm asking you to you. Out of character. Everyone. Okay. Honor. Freedom. Servitude. Life. Life. (laughs) Those two took one step back. (laughs) All wrong. Knowledge is most valuable of all things. And we will leave it at that for this week. Join us next time as the adventure continues on An Acorn's Journey, a DMD story. Thank you to our cast, Frank Whedon, Ben Petrie, Bill Robitaille, Louis Aponte, Sin Morse, and your DM, Scott. A special thanks to you, our listeners. You are why we do this every week. We'll see you next time in the dojo.